Hey everybody, welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on Cleveland.com. My name is Dan Lobby and I am joined this week by Mary Kay Cabot and Scott Patsko. How are you guys? I'm doing great. How you doing? Doing good. All right. We still got it. You guys looked at each other and uh, <laughs> figured out who to, who should go first there. I kind of threw you under the bus. But uh, Ellis is out of town, so I'm filling in for him uh, back in the hosting chair here today. And of course, we're going to talk about the coaching search, all things coaching search. So we are recording this on Wednesday afternoon, kind of around noon. Um, and we're going to talk about the remaining candidates here. So today... Uh, it's Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator of the Eagles, interviewing. Uh, it'll be Kevin Stefanski interviewing on Thursday, the offensive coordinator for the Vikings. And then we'll wrap it up with Josh McDaniels, who you all know, of course, is the offensive coordinator of the Patriots and who many believe might be the favorite for this job or one of the favorites. But let's go through kind of the list of these interviews here uh, and kind of get your impressions of each one. So, Mary Kay, let's start with Jim Schwartz. Sort of a surprise. I don't know if a lot of people expected the Browns to interview him. This was a guy that a couple years ago, I think, was sort of a hot candidate, honestly. Uh, Has been in Cleveland before. Tell us about Jim Schwartz. How does he fit here? Why is he suddenly, you know, on the radar as a candidate? Well, there are a few things about Jim Schwartz. First of all, uh, he really embraces analytics. I mean, these guys are trying to identify candidates that can espouse and embrace the data-driven approach of this football team. And they want somebody uh, that can grasp it. I mean, when they present these guys with all this information, all these statistics, all this data that's coming across their desk, and they are making a bigger push in, in that realm, they want somebody that can handle it. And that, you know, when they come to him on Monday and say, you know, here's here's why Baker has to be, uh, you know, out of play action, you know, 60 percent of the time or whatever the case. I mean, it gets very detailed and complicated. Jim Schwartz went to Georgetown. He's extremely smart. He's also got head coach experience. Now, he wasn't wildly successful with the Detroit Lions, uh, but he was there from 2009 to 2013. Uh, didn't have a winning record. I don't have it in front of me. It's 29 and 50 something. Yeah. Um, and 0 1 in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, it, it's not like he has Super Bowl rings or any of that as, as a head coach, but he does have head coach experience. So you knock off that, that avalanche of learning that you have to do as a first time head coach. There's so much to know, so much to do. Uh, I, I, he's, you know, he's a tough guy. He is just oh, a yeah. t- right. We've seen that on the <laughs> sideline, right? I mean, he yeah. Is Scott a, was Scott was telling us that he was watching videos of, yeah. uh, of Jim Schwartz, and of course, you can find those. A lot of not these. safe for work uh, lip reading going on. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, tell us about that, Scott. What you? Oh, well, see. everybody knows about the the Harbaugh uh, incident. Uh, the Forty ers beat the Lions. I don't even know what year it was, but obviously, they were both head coaches at that point. And uh, Jim came out and just gave him a big old slap on the hand. Uh, it wasn't really the kind of handshake you would expect to see after a game between coaches, and, and Schwartz took kind of offense to that. And then uh, there was uh, some following going on, and then all the, everybody and every team kind of gathered around, and there was just a, a huge incident after that. And, and But beyond that, uh, Schwartz is very fiery, I think is how you describe him yep. on the sideline. Um, you know, yelling at the refs uh, is something that Browns fans would probably see a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if he came here. So uh, he's definitely not uh, your laid back coach. I, I do want to point out about that record too, Mary Kay. You mentioned it. Um, 29 and 51 uh, is the record. That's a 363 winning percentage. It is important to note he took over an 0 16 team. Yeah. Uh, and then they yep. went 2 and 14. Uh, Matthew Stafford, I believe that was his rookie season, 2 and 14, mm-hmm. 6 and 10. And then ten and six. So this is a guy that's taken over a team, sort of in disarray, about as, as bad a disarray as you could be in, and and he turned them into a playoff team. Now he finished four and twelve, and then seven and nine. But not a lot of coaches have had success in Detroit. You know, Jim Caldwell, honestly, is a guy that recently fired. His star has kind of risen because we've seen Matt Patricia go into Detroit and fall into the trap that every Detroit coach falls into. Cleveland a lot, you know, the same way. Nobody's really had success here. So. Uh, that's part of why Jim Schwartz is also an interesting name. Yeah, and the other thing, too, when you look at Jim Schwartz, the Browns are coming off of a year in which Freddie Kitchens had no control over this football team, okay? Every time I looked over on the sidelines, somebody was dropping an F-bomb on <laughs> Freddie Kitchens, okay? That's not going to happen with Jim Schwartz. And I think sometimes you try to hire the opposite of what you've had before. And we've heard over and over again, they want strong leadership. Well, nobody's going to put anything over on Jim Schwartz, okay? He would have... 
uh, command of the locker room, command of the team, and he's a tough guy. And, uh, you know, once again, he got his start here in Cleveland. I mean, I remember him back. I hate to say it, but I remember <laughs> him back in 1993 through 1995. He was one of, uh, you know, one of the 2020 guys that we always talk about from that staff. And those guys were, you know, in their 20s, making in the 20,000s or less. And, uh, you know, these guys were super smart, super hardworking. Uh, Bill Belichick I, I, and Mike Lombardi, who was really responsible for hiring Jim Schwartz. You know, they, they identify these really smart young guys who would just work their tails off for nothing. And they, they built themselves up, and they went on, most of them, to have great success. So he's got a history here, loves it here, and he's steeped in the Patriots' way. The next interview, uh, the one tomorrow, which is Thursday, is one of the finalists from last year. Kevin Stefanski, he was the analytics choice last year for the job. Uh, of course, Freddie Kitchens ended up getting the job. Uh, and, and I think because of all that, Stefanski has sort of, he's been lionized a little bit here, I think, because, because the Freddie Kitchens thing went so poorly and everybody kind of looks and says, gosh, I wonder what Stefanski would have been like. We don't know what kind of head coach Kevin Stefanski would be if he got this job, but there's certainly reasons to to feel good about him. Uh, you know, so Stefanski coming in for his interview, Scott, you've been doing a lot of these get to know posts and I know you put one up recently about Stefanski. So as as you kind of dug into him a little bit, what, what did you find out? You know, he reminds me a lot of Freddie Kitchens' rise, uh, Ted coach, uh, is very similar. Uh, Kitchens spent over a decade in Arizona. Um, I think he'd, he'd coached, uh, position coach in Dallas before that, but basically his entire career had been spent in Arizona. Um, never really got a coordinator shot there. Uh, Stefanski is much the same way. He spent his entire career, I think 13, 14 years in, in Minnesota, been a position coach, just like Freddie got his uh, first shot at calling plays and uh, offensive coordinator because somebody got fired. Uh, and then this year, of course, he's, he's been doing it full time and uh, they've had success. I think you kind of have to look at him kind of the same way you do with Freddie. You don't really know what you're going to get. He's going to be, if he's hired as a head coach, he's going to be in that leadership role for the first time. Is he going to want to call plays uh, the way Freddie did? Um, that's something that they'd have to figure out. But just his rise there, it just seemed to mirror Freddie Kitchens a lot away from me. Yeah, Mayor Kay, when you, when you look at Stefanski, you know, like I said, it's sort of become a, you know, I think people look at him and think he would have come in here and won 12, <laughs> won 12 games. Maybe he would have, I don't know, but... Uh, you know, why do you think Stefanski has sort of uh, ascended to where he is in Browns fans' eyes? And, of course, you know, organizationally as well. Well, let's look back to last year's search. These guys identified that Kevin Stefanski is one of the guys that could come in here and grasp modern football concepts, would really embrace the whole analytic piece, could handle it. He's he's a UPenn guy, okay? So he's right up there with the Harvards. The Harvards wanted him last year. Andrew Berry was still around last year, too. Yeah. Uh, so you had Paul De Podesta, uh, you had Andrew Berry, and they, they identified him as somebody that could come in here and have all the skills, all the leadership skills, the organizational skills that you would need uh, to be the head coach of the football team. Another thing they liked was the fact that he was the son of Ed Stefanski, an NBA uh, executive his whole life. So he grew up around the game. He grew up... Uh, listening to the conversation about how to build a team and a roster. So he just kind of has that sort of thing, the CEO coach thing in his veins already. Now, they liked him a lot last year. They loved him. I'm told he blew everybody in the organization away last year, even John Dorsey. So someday I have to find out the story of how can you have Kevin Stefanski sitting in chair number A and Freddie Kitchens in chair number B, and you end up with Freddie Kitchens as the head coach of your football team. Now, we know that that was John Dorsey's call, and I think in part he wanted to fill up that coaching staff with a lot of people that he really liked. And so, therefore, you ended up with the Campins and the Prefers and those kinds of people. Uh, but they all mostly loved him last year, even though he had only called plays for three football games. Mm -hmm. Now he's gone back. He's been an offensive coordinator for a full season. He's called a whole year. He took a team to the playoffs. He's advancing to the divisional round. Why wouldn't they love him again this year? And and you look at how he's how he's done it this year too. It, it feels like that's almost how the Browns want to look, or maybe should look going into next year with a, with a strong running attack. You know what he's done with Dalvin Cook. We mentioned the play action stuff. I mean Baker's numbers 
uh, with play action and without play action, it's staggering mm-hmm. the difference. I, I mean, it's like ten percentage points completion percentage. His rating is in the hundreds when, when you're looking at. It's over one hundred when you're looking at with play action. It's really low when you're looking without play action. So that's sort of what you're looking for when you bring in a guy like Kevin Stefanski. Is that kind of thinking? You know, we're gonna we're gonna live off play action. Uh, we're not gonna be afraid to run the ball. There has been a stat going around that he likes to run the ball a lot on second and long, which is not, of course, of course, yeah. the analytics dream. Uh, but you know, maybe uh, Paul DePodesta and whoever the GM is can can knock that out of him a little bit. Uh, but but that's sort of the draw with Stefanski. They can come in and do with Baker what he's been able to do with Kirk Cousins, and then. The element on top of that is you hope that Baker is a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins long term. So, so this could help in Baker's development. Yeah, I think so. And then also you're looking at sort of the, uh, you know, the Andy Reid influence passed down. You know, Brad Childress is one of his mentors. Uh, you know, you, you have that whole sort of, you know, Pat Shermer, Andy Reid, Brad Childress scheme going on here. And it's been successful. It seems to me that that sort of coaching tree, that football family, when they go out and strike out on their own as head coaches, they seem to be more successful than some of the Bill Belichick guys Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Uh, So I think that's another thing to look at. Yeah, his work with Kirk Cousins this year, uh, they were in the bottom third of uh, the league in passing yards, but Cousins was very efficient, uh, fourth in completion percentage, fourth in passer rating this season. So he got the most he could out of Cousins. It wasn't you know, like you said, Dan, it, it was a rushing team mostly. And, you know, you come here, you got Nick Chubb, and you have uh, Kareem Hunt to work with. That's got to be exciting for someone like that. But uh, Baker might not break records for passing yardage if that happens, but he will be efficient. Um, we're going to do a quick aside here uh, because Mary Kay, we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record. You mentioned the Brad Childress, Andy Reid coaching tree. Mm-hmm. And there's another guy out there that can't get a job anywhere. Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator who's in Patrick Mahomes' ear, mm-hmm. who handles a lot of the installs. I mean, he is the guy that relays the plays in the helmet. Has worked so closely with Patrick Mahomes. He interviewed with the Browns this year, which which didn't happen a year ago. I'm just a little surprised that, obviously, a lot of the talk has been him not getting the job in New York. I'm a little surprised that it appears he's not one of the front runners for this job. Now, we don't know. We're, we're kind of just going off who they're interviewing here in the future, but... It just seems to me like Eric Bieniemy is a guy that, that maybe should be getting a closer look across the league and, and definitely here when you got a young quarterback. I've talked to really good, smart football people who really like Eric Bieniemy a lot. So if he doesn't get this job this year, I think next year will be his year. He's on track. Now what Andy's going to have to do if he doesn't get it this year, he's going to have to give him a couple of games, not the fourth preseason game. <laughs> yeah, we've, <laughs> we've been done that, Rob. He's going to have to give him a couple of games to call plays so that he can prove that he did it. People like to see that. Like you said, Matt Nagy at least had a couple of games where you could say, hey, I've done it, okay? Uh, Even though Andy lets these guys in on every single thing, things that come across his desk, he prepares them for the job. Uh, Eric Biennemi, again, I've heard great, great things about him. Dan, you listened to a podcast, (laughs) right? Yeah, he was was on the Peter King podcast, and it was was really the first time I've heard him talk a lot. And he was really impressive. A lot of culture, understanding, you know, the leadership element of it, understanding what it takes to be a head coach that, you know, you can be a great offensive mind and a great play caller, but there's a ton that goes into it. He seemed to have a grasp on on all of that, at least in that, you know, 20 minute interview I listened to. But isn't it weird that that owners would have to see him call plays when they would want to hire him as a head coach? to maybe not call plays. You know, you basically want him to be the leader of your team, and, and that's something that the Browns are looking for. You know, all the players talked about leadership. Uh, if you hire somebody like Vianney to come to, to Cleveland as the head coach, the thinking would be that he wouldn't be calling plays if he didn't do it in Kansas City. Uh, even somebody who did call plays could come here and not call plays. So, right. So what's the point in, in having him have experience calling plays for the Chiefs? You're hiring for a certain skill set that's not necessarily going to be you know seen when he's a head coach right that that's a great point scott because uh after what they went through with freddie you know they might be very reluctant to have the offensive head coach call the plays in the first season now maybe he will maybe he won't but it should not be a prerequisite and i do think that people should keep their eyes on eric Bieniemy as a as a legitimate candidate in this search Anything can happen. I mean, look what happened yesterday, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yesterday, 
teams turned the NFL world topsy-turvy, hiring guys that you know we didn't think were the favorites. And that could very well happen in this search. Uh, real, real quick, before we move on to McDaniels, I do want to ask this question because we talked about the Stefanski snub last year. Do you think that plays any role in his decision-making? Or is this a job that if he gets offered this job, he's going to take it? He's been an offensive coordinator for one full season. I don't think he's turning down a head coach offer just because he didn't get it last year. I would think he would want it, period. <laughs> Look at that as a learning experience. Hey, I didn't get it last year. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't see that being an issue. Now, if he still had an opportunity to go to Carolina, which I find it very interesting that those teams didn't even bother to interview, to go through the process and interview Josh McDaniels, or Kevin Stefanski, who was going to interview with the Panthers. Uh, very interesting. If he had had the opportunity to get hired by Carolina, he may have weighed these two chances and said to himself, hey, the Browns passed me over last year, and they have a quick hook. So for those two reasons, I'm taking the Carolina job. But that's dried up. He doesn't have an opportunity to take the Carolina job anymore, mm -hmm. so absolutely he would take this job. And not only that, do you see what head coaches are going for these days? <laughs> My goodness, Matt yeah. Rule just signed a seven-year, $62 million contract. People that I talk to in the league, they laugh about this. They're like, people wonder, is it an attractive job? Heck yeah, being set up for the rest of your life mm -hmm. with millions of dollars. And in many cases in Cleveland, you don't even have to work. <laughs> I mean, you can just go to the bank every week. So yes, it's an attractive job uh, for that reason alone. Uh, yeah, and the, and the Carolina thing. Uh, yeah, I was surprised New York jumped on uh, on their coach, but... The Carolina thing made sense because it was Matt Rule, right? I mean, I'm sure if Matt Rule wanted to come to Cleveland, I don't know if the Browns would have let him leave. Uh, but that was, you know, this is sort of, for a lot of different reasons, falling the Browns' way. Maybe we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, let's talk about Josh McDaniels. Uh, you know, we mentioned Jim Schwartz' record as a head coach. Josh McDaniels, not a great record as a head coach either. Uh, has the Indianapolis thing in his background when, when he left them at the altar after initially accepting the job. Any concern about Josh McDaniels? If the Browns hire him, if they come out on Saturday and say, hey, Josh McDaniels is our new head coach, he's coming home, uh, and, and any concern there? Well, I think you do have to make sure that those red flags that are in his past, that he has solved those issues. Okay, he had some uh, concerns when he was head coach of the Denver Broncos, and from everything I've read and heard, he's learned from his mistakes. Uh, he was only 33 then. When he was hired as the head coach of the Denver Broncos, he was the youngest head coach in the NFL at the time. He did interview with the Cleveland Browns that time, yeah. too, as well, which mm -hmm. I forgot about for a while because all of these head coaching searches have run together in my brain, <laughs> and I can't remember who interviewed when, who got what jobs, who, what coaches coached with who. I mean, it's just I've, I'm, I have a recurring nightmare that I'm just stuck in a never-ending coaching search. But... I do think that you'd have to make sure that you have a comfort level with his, you know, his indecision with what happened with the Colts and that he has learned from his mistakes with the Broncos. Yeah, I think if, if something like what happened with the Colts happens again, he, no, he's never going to get another interview, I, would, no. I wouldn't think. So I don't he, – he has to be all in, I would guess, at this point. Uh, as far as Denver goes, I think they started off 6-0 and his first year, mm -hmm. and then it just, you know, fell apart. Um he fired his uh, his defensive coordinator, which there were reports that they didn't get along. And the new defensive coordinator, who was a first-timer, turned that defense into the worst defense in the league. And <laughs> next thing you know, mm -hmm. 12 games into second season, Josh McDaniels is out of job. So, um, But like you said, that was a long time ago. And, you know, Freddie Kitchens didn't really get an opportunity to kind of learn from his mistakes. Uh, maybe x number of years down the road you know you're saying the same thing about freddie kitchens i think at this point in josh mcdaniel's career i think he's done enough as an offensive coordinator to think that and there's been enough time removed from uh from his time in denver to, to say yeah he's i think he's totally worth uh worth taking a look at and and, and given the opportunity and the, this week offered a very strong lesson in the rule never tweet uh did did you guys get it all bamboozled by that old Adam Schefter tweet that was making the rounds? I was so I saw uh, one of our colleagues did retweet that, and uh, I, <laughs> a, I, a few I looked, me, a few media members I, I think grabbed yeah, that one. There was a moment of no, no way, and then 
uh, and what it was on it was the fact that, uh, that Josh McDaniels had pulled out of the running. Yeah, so so if if you didn't see it, uh, there was an old tweet from 2014 that some Browns fan, somebody out there dug up and and retweeted that said Josh McDaniels has withdrawn his name from the Browns job, and of course. As you're scrolling to your timeline and, and you see that Adam Schefter tweet, you think, oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. I guess uh, I guess we're on to Kevin Stefanski then. And then you realize you see the date. Oh, 2014. It got, a, it got a few people, a number of people. Well, I will tell you that that same person back a few years, a few coaching searches ago, mm-hmm. retweeted fake a fake Solomon Wilcott's tweet <laughs> saying that Chip Kelly got the Browns job. Okay. And because a reputable right. member of our local media retweeted Solomon Wilcox, <laughs> and we were all ha- sitting on the edge of our chair waiting for this coaching search, I retweeted it. I retweeted it. I did. I just retweeted it. <laughs> yeah. And immediately, you know, somebody got to me right away. I'm like, delete that. But I paid holy hell for that, <laughs> for that mistake. And so I've been more careful since then. But at a time like this, I mean, everybody's trying to stay on top of everything. Fortunately, it must have been like the three minutes that I like quickly took a shower yesterday <laughs> or that I, like I ran to the bathroom or went to grab a bite to eat or, or something else that you try to do in the middle of a coaching search that you shouldn't be, really be doing. Uh, and I missed it, fortunately, because, hey, there's a, probably a good chance I could have gotten caught up. I was uh, very close to, to texting both of you, yeah. like, have you seen this? And then I clicked on it, and I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. That's that's <laughs> remarkable because I, when it's Adam Schefter, you see Adam Schefter's name, and we always think, you know, that's golden. We can right. we can retweet that. Yeah, that's the thing. It wasn't one of those fake accounts either. Yeah. It was the real Adam the Schefter. It was check. just a really old tweet. Yeah, and it, yeah, so I certainly had a moment too where I'm almost like, oh, okay, well, I guess I guess that's that. That's a shocker. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I tried I tried to will the hire into existence yesterday. By the way, <laughs> after everything uh, happened. I, I I went for a run, so I, I tried to will a, an announcement into existence in that forty five minutes that I that I was out on a run. It didn't happen. Uh, before we we take our break here, real quick, um, who do you think is the best fit for this job? When when you look at all these candidates, when you look at what the Browns have, uh, kind of what they need, and it, it can be any of the candidates. It doesn't have to be the guys we just talked about. Who do you think fits best for this team right now? You know, right now, what I'm going to say is that I think they are so hell-bent on alignment in this organization that it just seems to me that the the most, and I wrote a column about this yesterday, the most direct route to alignment for them would be keeping Paul DePodesta as their chief strategy officer, and we know they love him. Jimmy Haslam loves him. Hiring Kevin Stefanski as their coach, because we know Paul DePodesta loves him. (laughs) And then bringing Andrew Barry back from the Eagles as the GM, because we know that Paul loves Andrew, Jimmy loves, this is a love story. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy loves Andrew. Andrew and Paul are aligned and they both love Kevin Stefanski. So when I look at this, to me, I don't really know if Kevin Stefanski is the best choice amongst these candidates. But what I do feel like is that it represents that elusive alignment that Jimmy Haslam is seeking, that everyone would be in going in the same direction. Under Sashi and Hugh, you had Sashi, you know, yelling at, at Jimmy. Well, maybe not yelling because Sashi wasn't much of a yeller. You had <laughs> Sashi in, Jim, in, in Jimmy's left ear. You had Hugh Jackson in his right ear. And they were, they were saying completely opposite and different things. And there was some yelling going on. I know that for sure. Um, that's not going to happen here. All three of these guys would be reporting to Jimmy Haslam. But, you know, he could probably just go off and run Pilot Flying J because these guys will work so well together, they're barely going to need Jimmy Haslam. But you don't know that for sure, <laughs> right? Because, I mean, I know that know. Uh, people talked about Barry and Stefanski getting along, but, but still they're two guys who I think are going to learn together on the job about each other. Um, I'm not saying Josh McDaniels is the best fit. I don't, we don't know who's going to come in here and be successful. But if you're bringing somebody who you have a long history with, uh, as as the potential GM to work with, I think that's probably the best case scenario of getting that alignment, because all the Browns are really doing here is flipping the the uh, the process. Usually, it's the GM heavily involved with hiring the coach, but now they're going to flip it and have the coach involved with hiring the GM. But you still have that situation where two guys are going to have to learn how to get together and and, and cooperate and and work together and kind of have the same vision, and it's not always going to work. But if you have a history with people and 
you've worked with them somewhere else and, and you, you kind of have that experience of knowing how they think, that, that might be the best way to get there. Yeah, and Mary Kay, you wrote about the that alignment thing today with, with those three. And on the one hand, that's great. I, I think it, it works. But on the other hand, there's a lot of unknowns in there. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know if Paul D. Podesta can actually like run a football team. And right. Andrew Barry, I mean, I love Andrew Barry. He's illegal. He's he's young. He's thought to be an up and comer. Mm-hmm. He's never run. He's never been a GM. Right. Uh, I mean, he was sort of a GM here, but. It was Sashi running the show, and uh, but he's, he's never actually run that department like that. Right. And uh, Kevin Stefanski's never been a, never been a head coach. Right. So there's a lot of unknowns in that. That doesn't mean it can't work, and and that's the whole point of this. We don't know anything. You right. Know, we don't know once these, we don't know anything until these guys get in that chair. Uh, I think I'm leaning McDaniel's just because I think he could really work with Baker, and I think he could really coach Baker. And I think the bottom line, the trump card he will always have with Baker, is. This is how Tom did it. <laughs> how are you going to counter How are you going right. to you know, go against that if you're Baker Mayfield? This is how Tom Brady did it. This is what Tom Brady did every day. This is what you have to do in the offseason. This is how you get better. I, I think McDaniels is a guy that has learned lessons, has had coaching experience. Maybe he brings a New England personnel guy with him. And, and I think maybe that's the way uh, That's the way this could go. A guy we didn't mention, um, we mentioned Enemy. We didn't mention Robert Sala. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's a guy that maybe Jimmy Haslam could fall in love with and comes from, you know, working under Kyle Shanahan, has that fiery personality. Uh, I wouldn't rule him out either. But uh, maybe we'll talk to him, talk about him real quickly after the break because we've got to take one here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We'll be back uh, with a little more coaching talk and some questions from our Football Insider subscribers. All right, welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby along with Mary Kay Cabot and Scott Patsko. Now, one thing uh, before we went to the break, uh, Scott and I talked a lot about Josh McDaniels. Mary Kay, we didn't give you a chance to talk about uh, your thoughts on Josh McDaniels because you were you were kind of telling us about the alignment with Kevin Stefanski. So uh, with McDaniels uh, and, and his fit, if the Browns go that way, how do you think he fits here? Well, there is a lot of sentiment in the building to hire Josh McDaniels. The Browns have had their eye on him for a long time. Of course, that has spanned two ownerships. Randy Lerner first interviewed him in 2009, got passed over for Eric Mangini. The Browns interviewed him in 2014 um, when they uh, had just fired Rob Chudzinski after one season. So they ended up with Mike Pettin that year, but they spent eight hours with Josh McDaniels. They liked a lot of things about him, uh, but Josh actually pulled himself out of the running that year Uh, because he decided that he wasn't ready yet to leave. He didn't want to strike out on his own, and he wanted to remain with the Patriots. And several times when he's tried to leave the Patriots, they have pulled him back in. And I was even told uh, that he was not permitted to interview this time around until I was told Wednesday uh, of this week, which would have been today, Um, And because they told him he had to stick around and do exit interviews. Now, it might have been actually Tuesday. It was Tuesday or Wednesday. He had to stay at least through Monday and complete exit interviews. By the time he did that, he lost an opportunity to interview with the Giants and the Panthers. So once again, it seems that the Patriots pulled him back in. And I keep <laughs> waiting for Robert Kraft to do it again, you know, for, for Robert Kraft to say, no, 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 don't, don't leave. I mean, there's a lot going on in New England right now. Who knows if Tom Brady's coming back? Who knows if Bill Belichick's coming back? Who knows uh, what the situation is there? So uh, I think this is something to keep an eye on. Will Josh McDaniels, uh, you know, actually play this th- whole thing out this time around? Is he really ready to leave the Patriots, or will they swoop in the last minute and try to make him stay again? But the Browns do really like him a lot. He is from here. He's got head coaching experience, six Super Bowl rings, and a lot to like. All right. Hey, let's talk about Football Insider real quick. Uh, because we're about to get into some questions. So Football Insider, of course, is our subscription service. Uh, you go to cleveland.com slash Browns. There's a banner up at the top of the page there, and you get texts right to your phone. You get them from me, from Mary Kay, from Scott, from Ellis. Uh, you get a newsletter every day that's texted to you that isn't anyplace else. You can't see it on the website. It's it's exclusive content to our subscribers. Uh, $3.99 a month. It's, it's kind of a cool service. I've gotten to kind of get my hands on it in the last couple months, and, and it's kind of cool to interact with everyone one and uh you know mary Kay. obviously you you've been doing it the longest uh, i mean we're we're talking right to you mm-hmm. when, when we send out a text that text is 
coming from us right to your phone. It, it's sort of a different way to, to interact with us. Yeah, and, and another thing that I think um, we are all going to try to do more of going forward, and I know, Dan, you've been doing a great job of this. Uh, when you I guys... don't know what you're going to say, but I have been doing a great job of it. You definitely have. When you guys text questions to us, we're going to try to do a, a much better job of just answering you directly. So look forward to more of that uh, as we go along. Uh, you know, sometimes when you get caught up in a coaching search and in the season, it's hard to do. But as the offseason rolls along, when we can, we're going to log on there and just answer some questions one-on-one and just give you guys what you deserve. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of the cool thing about it, Scott, is like, you know, we do a pregame Q&A. You send a question. It's not going out on Twitter for everybody to see, and the reply is not going out to everybody to see, and you're getting a bunch of people you don't know re- responding to those tweets. Right. You send a question, and we hit reply. It's going to you. Yep. That's it. Not 20 other people. You know, we're replying directly to you, which is kind of, it's kind of a cool access point, I think, if, if it's something you want to take a look at. Yeah, the idea is you're not scrolling through a, a Twitter feed uh, looking for, for things. It's It's, you know, right to your phone it's it's directly to you and uh like you said you, you're asking us questions directly and hey it's the off season we got nothing better to do <laughs> <laughs> yep. than to uh than to talk browns you know we're not doing many interviews right now so so hit us up and the other thing about it is like right now during this coaching search uh you're getting from us immediate reaction and analysis if we find out that Jim Schwartz is coming in for an interview right away to your phone. You will have us texting you what we think about that, why they're interviewing him, what chances uh, he thinks. So you can take that right to the water cooler and be first with all of that great analysis. All right. So three ninety nine a month. There's a two week free trial. So what better time now as we get you know, start wrapping up this coaching search, start getting into draft season. Uh, you know, great time to maybe give this thing a shot. So cleveland.com slash Browns, click on the banner uh, that's right at the top of the page there. Okay, let's get to some of the questions that were sent into us. This one from the uh, 330 area code. This, this can be a quick answer, really, but I think it's something we're talking about as, as we wrap this thing up. The Browns, everything's right in front of them. They're the only team hiring. Is there a surprise hire out there? Is there some name? that we haven't talked about? Is there somebody that could pop up here at the last minute and get this job? Or is this going to be from kind of the candidates we know? Well, I, we've already mentioned Eric Bieniemy. I think he's definitely somebody to watch. Uh, we haven't really talked yet about two other candidates that I think we should really cover. And, and those two guys are, let's start with Robert Sala, the 49ers defensive coordinator. I've studied up a lot about Robert. I've talked to a lot of people about Robert. And there's a lot to like about him. He's got an incredibly interesting story. Uh, He was a young uh, banker. He was working at a bank in Detroit, and his brother was in the South Tower on 9-11 when it was hit. And his brother got out alive, but that very day, Robert Sala decided that he did not want to be financing golf courses anymore, that he Mm -hmm. wanted to be back in football. He was a college football player. A tight end. He wanted to be back on that field. He knew he couldn't play in the NFL. He decided to be a coach. He did anything that he could to get into the game of coaching, into the, into the game of football. Uh, he worked for almost nothing. He was a graduate assistant for years, and then he ended up taking a job with the Texans, and he just kept working his way up and working his way up. He embraces the technology. He's been a defensive coordinator for the 49ers for three seasons. He's got great leadership skills. He's got a great way about him. He can command a room. He's worked uh, with Kyle Shanahan now for a long time. Those guys had an amazing season. His players want to run through a wall for him. We see him on the sidelines flexing, pumping. Uh, He's a fiery guy, a fiery leader, super smart, loves technology, there is a lot to like about Robert Sala. Isn't it true that he's not normally like that, though? Yes. That he's a very uh, more of a laid-back kind of guy, but uh, <laughs> yes. I think I read that the uh, the 49ers coaches and players kind of get excited when they see him yes. Him get excited because he doesn't do that all the time. Yes, absolutely. But, well, you know who else was going to be a banker and then got into football? Andrew Barry. <laughs> yes, that's right. So there you go. His, his mom told me that she just thinks he didn't want to wear a suit to work every day. So maybe he doesn't want to be a GM because of that. You wrote know. a whole profile on I, Andrew Barry. I Barry. sure did. You know the <laughs> whole I've mentioned Andrew that Barry. a few times here on this. Yeah, you guys have heard the story about the interviews. <laughs> and yeah, I uh, did a, a long story on Andrew Barry. He's, he's, he's a great guy. Um, but yeah, kind of a, a little synergy there. They can run a little investment operation off uh, yeah. <laughs> off to the side when they're not working on football. Yeah, and I think that um, that Robert could 
hang with the Harvards. That's my buzz phrase for the week. You got to be able to hang with the Harvards. So um, I think Robert could do that. He one of the ways that he made himself invaluable to the coaching staffs he worked for is he really got good at the whatever technology they needed to be using at the time. So he was great at all the computer skills. Hmm. And when they needed to, you know, you need that go-to guy to say, hey, how do you do this? And it was like the playbook that they put on the computer. And he just made sure that he was an expert at that. So he'll learn what he doesn't know. He'll learn the technology. The other things that, to, that you need to know about Robert Sala, he – he would try to bring in one of Kyle Shanahan's top two offensive guys, and that would be Mike LaFleur or Mike McDaniel. Now, Mike McDaniel was here with Kyle Shanahan in Cleveland as the wide receivers coach. So if that is the choice for Robert Sala, and I'm sure these names came up during the interview, the Browns would just make sure that they have to make sure they have a comfort level with the fact that you know, Mike kind of left with Kyle when Kyle orchestrated his way out of town. So would they hold that against him? Would they not? If they do, then he's got to try to bring in Mike LaFleur. So that's something to look at. But I think Robert would have, I think he's an up-and-coming young coach in this league. I think he's going to be a head coach sooner than later. He would be bringing in the Kyle Shanahan system. We've seen what it's done for every quarterback he's worked with. We've seen the success that it has, and that's what would be going on here in Cleveland. And it really is the last time that they were really good and almost made the playoffs. So, you yeah, know, you three of these coaches uh, on the list: uh, Stefanski, um, Sala, and uh, which you know, if he brings the the Shanahan offense and uh, Roman, three three coordinators who uh, are three three teams that are very uh, run heavy in yeah, a pass. Yeah pass happy league right now and again the, the browns definitely have the horses in the backfield to to make something like that work okay uh from the 253 area code uh we're going to try and reassure this person a little bit if we're possible uh says i'm a pretty optimistic person but i think i finally lost all hope in the haslams finally they say can you give me any kind of hope at all that they might hire someone they won't fire in less than two years so i'll kick this one off uh and then send it over to scott here um yeah. look uh Nobody gets the benefit of the doubt in the Browns organization, right? But I think the hope this time is maybe everything is just timed up right. That's kind of what I've been trying to to sell myself on. Everything's timed up. There's not a GM in place. There's not a, There's nothing in place to kind of muck things up. This isn't a situation, you know, like when they hire John Dorsey and keep Hugh Jackson around and, you know, hire Sashi Brown and kind of force Hugh Jackson on him. And, you know, there's they're going to be able to hire two people together that hopefully can work together. And as you said earlier, Mary Kay won't be in Jimmy's ears over and over again, where it's one of those situations where whoever talks to Jimmy last kind of wins. Yeah, I think uh, I wrote uh, a couple weeks ago how the Browns uh, have tried everything since 99, and especially since uh, the Haslam's took over. They have, they've hired every kind of coach you, you can hire. They've uh, Offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, uh, took Butch Davis from college. They have guys with Super Bowl experience. They have guys from Bill Belichick's tree. They have whatever we want to call Freddie Kitchens, like you know the shooting star candidate or whatever. Everybody on the list right now of the candidates that are left out there uh, fall into one of those categories. Um, the one thing they haven't done is hire a coach who's had a lot of success as a head coach. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike McCarthy sure. was on that. Uh, right. W- was one of those, but he's off the board now. So what they have left now is what they've done before. So, you know, Jimmy talked a lot about learning from past uh, experience. Uh, and if they really have learned, well, then they can apply what they've learned to these candidates because they're all the kind of guys that they've looked at before. Um, now, the process of hiring the coach first and then the GM second, we'll have to see how that works out. But as far as finding a coach, which they want to do first, uh, you would think that by now <laughs> they've gone through this enough and they've done it all over and over again that that, that they kind of know what they're looking for and they should, you know, they should go into this with open eyes and know that, okay, we're hiring this person with this experience. This is what happened last time. This is what we can reasonably expect. There's one thing that we haven't touched upon, and I would wonder what you guys think of this. What if they give Jason Garrett a call? Yeah, that's a name that I was going to bring Local up guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about that. We haven't heard that name yet here. Uh they, he was supposed to interview for the Giants head coach job, but they hurried up and went and hired Joe Judge and didn't well, give him didn't that they interview. Ask for permission 
maybe he, he maybe he didn't maybe he didn't want to. That's what I was thinking. Like maybe he they asked I don't for an know. interview. He didn't want to, and they said, okay, well we're going to move on and go with. I don't know. With Judge, but you know, you would think that it would be a natural if you want to interview someone else who has extensive head coaching experience oh, yeah. that is available and ready to take your job and has strong ties to this area that you would be giving Jason Garrett a call. Oh, Browns fans would be so mad about that. Mike Lombardi would be mad about it. <laughs> He's not a big Jason Garrett fan. You know, Jason Garrett doesn't do a lot to move the needle, but uh, you know, he did keep things fairly stable in Dallas. Uh, they, they sort of underachieved over these last few years, but um you know, so far, not a guy that the Browns have, have had an interest in. He does know how to work with a meddling owner. So that's yeah. certainly, uh, that's certainly something. But do we know if he favor. wants to coach though, too, you know, he, he might want to take so. time off after going through <laughs> a decade or so with, uh, with Jimmy no, or Jerry Jones. I, uh, I would think that he would want this job. I, yeah. I mean, my guess would be. That went, he to you, would... went to university school, right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Played his high school ball at university school has still has a lot of family here. Uh, I would think that he would jump at the chance to take this job, but I haven't heard that they are interested in calling him yet. But, I mean, that's, you know, anything could happen. We didn't know about Jim Schwartz until Monday night. So Yeah, and I'm wondering if Jim Schwartz is on is getting an interview and on this list because of his head coaching experience. When you look at the guys who were uh, already lined up, right. you know, McCarthy's off the board again, and they really didn't have, outside of Josh McDaniels two right. years, they didn't have a guy who, who had much head coaching experience. So... Um, I'm wondering if in their pursuit of being thorough in this process, uh, that kind of led to, to Jim Schwartz getting a call. I'm sure it probably did. Okay, let's uh, look through a couple of these as we go here. Uh, you know, I had just found one, but then I lost it. So that's why we've uh, that's why we've got the lull here. Um, let's talk about Brian Dable for a minute. Then. We can talk about Brian Dable because he's another one of those sort of dark horse candidates. Used to work here, of course. Uh, Buffalo's offensive coordinator. Did some good things this year with uh, some limited uh, weapons in Buffalo. What do you think? Well, he brings five Super Bowl rings. He was brought up in the big Bill Belichick regime, uh, has five Super Bowl rings with the Patriots under Bill Belichick. He won a national championship under Nick Saban at Alabama, got his start at Michigan State under Nick Saban. Mm -hmm. So he is you know, very much well-versed in that whole Nick Saban, Bill Belichick way of doing things. He knows how to be a leader. He knows how to treat players. Uh, he knows how to do things the right way. And uh, he knows how to win. He knows what winning looks like. Then he kind of branched out on his own here as an offensive coordinator and had to adapt. He had to adapt to a dual-threat quarterback and develop Josh Allen in a way that he, you know, he didn't have to do that with, a, you know, a Tom Brady or, or anyone else. So I, I think he did a nice job with that. He's done a really good job with Josh Allen this year, helping turn him into a much better passer and also utilizing his his legs. I think he had something like seven rushing touchdowns this had year. Had one against the Browns. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. He had 500 yards rushing, uh, you know, did a pretty nice job. And again, like you said, limited weapons i don't think he has a receiver over five eight and he doesn't have a great receiving core yeah had, mm -hmm. had frank gore but he's not getting any younger uh devin singletary was really good but right he know, did a good job of, of evening out the carries between yeah. those two guys though too yeah you know and they did not have great protection for for josh allen and that made things a little bit difficult and we saw that in, in the playoff game. We saw that in the wild card game. So I do think that there are a lot of things to like about Brian Dayball. This was his first opportunity to interview for head coaching job. But he's been here before as an offensive coordinator. And he understands, you know, this kind of – he understands Cleveland, loves it here, and a, another intriguing candidate. Uh, here, here was the question I was looking for from the 202 area code. Uh, it sort of casts a wide net, but of course, I, th I think with Matt Rule taking the Carolina job and, and not really wanting to come to Cleveland, you know, the question is pretty simple: why why don't prime coaching candidates want to come to Cleveland? Now, we're playing a little fast and loose with the word prime because I think Josh McDaniels is probably a you know one of the prime candidates this year. I think Kevin Stefanski is a guy that you know is is climbing up that ladder robert sala is a guy that if he doesn't get this job he's going to get opportunities down the road so there are prime candidates as far as hot coordinators and, and guys that want to 
climb the ladder. But you know, when you talk about the Matt Rules, the you know the Lincoln Rileys, uh, you know, or there was the report about Urban Meyer, but who knows if he would actually want to take this job if if it were a reality. They seem to not want to come here. Is it because of the instability? Is it because of the the organization? Why do you guys think that is? Well, I will tell you, a guy like Matt Rule, who is going to make that leap and come over to the NFL for the the first time as a head coach, uh, it would be a tremendous risk to go to a place where the leash has been so short. A lot of times you don't get a second opportunity. So if you are if you have other opportunities to do it, you're probably going to wait until it's right for you. Now, a guy like a Mike McCarthy or maybe even a Ron Rivera, someone like that that has already established themselves as as a winning head coach, been to a Super Bowl, you know, they might be able to take a little bit of a risk like this because it's not going to be the end of their career probably if it doesn't work out here. People would probably look at it and say, oh, you landed in Cleveland where they keep head coaches for a year or two. (laughs) But a young guy coming out of college is not necessarily going to take that risk uh, because it could be a career breaker for them. Yeah, I think ownership is at the top of the list and the fact that they've had so much turnover. What is the scenario that a new coach comes in here and does not make the playoffs and comes back for a second year? You know, you, you let Freddie Kitchens go, and I know you look at the season and you can pick out all these different things that may, gave you question marks about Freddie Kitchens as a head coach, but if whoever comes in here next, if they don't make the playoffs, you're going to be able to look at the season and probably do the same thing and, and point to these different things that led to them not making the playoffs. Unless it's a situation like, what was it, 20, 2007, where they went 10-6 and six and didn't make the playoffs, you know, are we back in the same boat? So I think if you're a head coach candidate coming in here, you have to have Serious questions about that. You know, every person that Jimmy Haslam has hired, they've told everybody that, you know, this is the guy and, and they feel confident about him and they're happy to have him. And, you know, a year or two later, it, it, he's not. And uh, it'll happen again with whoever they hire, uh, you know, in, in the coming weeks here. And, I, yeah, that's a serious question. And I think ownership is probably the the biggest concern of anybody. Some of it, too, is the jobs these guys have. I mean, if you're Lincoln Riley you've got it good at Oklahoma. You're getting the best recruits every year. You're getting paid a ton of money. You're the king. I mean, you're the king of that place. Uh, you know, Urban Meyer at Ohio State was obviously the king of Ohio, right? And now he's got a great TV job. Uh, Ryan Day at some point is probably going to be a hot coaching name to go to the NFL, but this is a guy that, you know, when you're, the, when you're Ohio State's head coach, you're making a ton of money. You're, you're winning a bunch. That, that could be a really tough sell. The other thing to consider is maybe a coach is looking at this situation and realizing that that's going to be a difficult thing to do around here for the next how many ever years with Lamar Jackson over there. And you look at the AFC North over the next few years, Joe Burrow is going to be the quarterback in Cincinnati. Really are playing hard for Zach Taylor. I mean, they they really are playing very well for him. All right, last question here uh, from our Football Insiders, and we appreciate all of you subscribing and, and sending these in. And, of course, if you're not a subscriber, get on board, uh, $3.99 a month, cleveland.com slash browns. Uh, th- this, this question from the 440 area code is specifically about Steve Wilkes, but I'm going to broaden the net a little bit. Uh, which coordinators, if any, or position coaches, if any, do you think are the biggest candidates to stay here? Or do we need to figure out who gets hired first? Well, I think we do need to figure out who gets hired first, but I think uh, Prefer has a good opportunities to, to yeah. stick around. Yeah. Uh, so he's definitely one. He did a nice job with special teams this year, uh, really improved them, and I think like they, dub- they d- doubled in the rankings, right? I mean, they ended up – I can't remember exactly what it was. You, I think you had it, Scott. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they, they didn't, they're not, they're not one of the best special teams units in the league, but they did make a, a jump at least to uh, I think the low 12. end or the high end of the middle of the pack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? So it was, it yeah, was I tremendous mean, improvement. Yeah. Um, uh, Football Outsiders has them right, right in the middle yeah. uh, of their metrics. And then, you know, Steve Wilkes is someone that I, I think he has gotten a raw deal over the last two years of his career. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had a really tough go of it in Arizona uh, you know, it, it just he just really did not get a fair shake there. Then he comes to Cleveland and his for the first 
part of his season he had to do without his two starting cornerbacks in Pro Bowler Denzel Ward and second-round pick Greedy Williams. When those guys came back, then Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon were out for the rest of the second half of the season. Now, you go to some other teams and you take J.J. Watt off the field or you take T.J. Watt off the field or Aaron Donald or any of your superstar defensive players, and it's completely different, okay? And I I feel like Steve Wilkes has a lot of merit, a lot of talent, and I feel like he had a really tough go of it here, and I would not be averse to trying to bring him back. And I think there was a stretch this season where the defense was, you know, the reason this team was in games and winning games when the offense was starting. I mean, it all fell apart when Miles Garrett went out. Uh, and they lost both teams. their safeties at different points they too. Lost both their safeties. Yeah. Teams started to really kind of run the ball against this team a lot. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, early in the year, especially even when those corners were out, uh, and the defense was keeping this football team in games yep. and giving them a chance to win, with a few exceptions here and there, of course. But uh, you know, there, there was certainly uh, you know Steve Wilkes did a pretty good job. So you know, but if you hired a guy like Robert Sala, and you know, obviously that's a defensive-minded guy. It just kind of depends who they hire. And then as far as position coaches, who knows? There's usually some holdover, yeah. uh, but we'll we'll kind of see how that all plays out. All right. I think that'll do it here for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Any final thoughts on the, the coaching search here? Do we have somebody by Saturday? Well, I think ideally they would like to have someone by Saturday. Uh, but keep in mind that if it is someone that's in the playoffs, they can't officially yeah. hire that person mm-hmm. until they're out of the playoffs. But, I mean, word can get out that they have agreed in principle to hire that coach. So I do actually think that they probably will have someone by Saturday. Yeah, I just keep remembering what Sashi Brown said over and over uh, about how crunched they were for time when they first came in and uh, whoever does get the job and then whoever you know ultimately becomes the, the GM, it's going to be the same situation. So... Um, if it is somebody in, this, in the playoffs, like you said, it's going to push them back further, and we'll have to wait and see how that impacts you know, the draft and free agency, things like that. Yeah, and that's the other thing. You've you got to start hiring those coordinators and hiring those position coaches. And you also want to give the guys who are in the building, if they aren't going to be here, you want to give them time to, to go out and, and find jobs for themselves as well with the combine and stuff uh, coming up at the end of February. So, all right, uh, my only added thing is let's avoid the big event at the stadium this year. Let's just keep it a nice tame press conference let's not crown this team super bowl champs at the coaching press conference let's just just keep it nice and and low-key this year whoever they hire and and let's hope that that jimmy haslam wants to be up at the front table with (laughs) with whoever the new head coach is that's that's fair as well all right so that'll do it for this edition of the orange and brown talk podcast for scott and mary Kay. i am dan thanks for